Welcome to episode 27 of the Grassroots Sky podcast with me, your host, Harry Purdy. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to bring on a one-of-a-kind t- one guest, Masters Coach of the Year 2019-2020, world-class coach, my coach, and international speaker, Mr. Paul Mort. Welcome. Oh, mate, what podcast, a fucking mate. intro. Come on. <laughs> How you doing, Jesus mate? You good? You're like a young fucking Michael Buffer. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. Let, all right, let's get ready to rumble, mate. This is going to be sick. Let's so get it. Let's, let's get, get on, on it. it. So, Mr. Mort, those people who don't know, who are you? Where have you come from? You've already done it. Yeah, this is true. So you're a master coach yeah. of the year, right? Twice master coach of the year, two years running, best-selling author, uh, international speaker, Yeah. Uh, working with thousands of people all over the world. Um, and it kind of happened by accident. Yeah, 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 100%. So we'll go into that straight away. So what I've, yeah. obviously in my notes I've put, you, you, you are a man of full of energy, a man full of top quality ideas, man full of top quality coaching now. But that's all because you've been on this journey from maybe where you weren't at this peak or near <laughs> peak that you are at the moment. So tell us a little yeah. bit about um, your so not so... Not so it's funny you should history. say that, mate, because I've only been, I've only been, even though I've been doing this since 2016, what I do right now, which is everyone, I still have this whole thing of where I work with married businessmen who need to get their shit together. But essentially right now, I work with anybody that's committed to improving their life. It's a bit vague. It's a bit vague, right? Um, but essentially until 2019, for three years, I wasn't even coaching. I was just telling people what to do. Yeah, And I did that out of the, because coaches don't tell people what to do. Coaches ask world-class questions. Mentors tell people what to do. So for three years, I was actually a mentor. And I just people, I just told people what to do. And the things that I told them what to do, I still do a little bit of that. The mentoring thing were things that were, I did to turn my life around from being suicidal, diagnosed bipolar, I told I was on meds for the rest of my life, regular panic attacks and anxiety attacks, five stone overweight, marriage falling apart, on the fucking booze and the fucking sniff every weekend. And it was just the stuff that helped me turn my life around so that I got a handle on all of that. And I showed other people how to do it. And then next thing you know, we're here about to sell out a fucking theatre. Yeah, 100%. It's an amazing It's It's, it's not lost on me. Yeah, well, 100%. And um. So how did you start your journey of like rediscovery and reforming yourself then, mate? What was the point where obviously you, you, you speak about being suicidal and obviously me being a, a bit of a fan of yours and obviously lucky enough to be one of your, one of your students, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the story, but obviously there's going to be people listening to this podcast that don't. You, you went on a bit of a mad one, you disappeared and you were stood yeah. on the edge of a cliff ready to almost yeah, give it all up. And your, yes, and your that's wife exactly what. That's exactly what happened. Um, so there was two incidents really, because I'm I'm glad you got that last little bit in there, um, because I always get asked about that, like why was your wife there? If you're gonna yeah. kill yourself, why is your wife there? Did you tell her? I was like, no. That I was so volatile back then, and I was so full of. My life was so turbulent, or I was so turbulent. It wasn't my life that was turbulent. It was me, in in here in my head was turbulent. I was at war with myself, if you like, and. My wife would pretty much follow me every time I left the house. Because mm. she, she'd worry that I wouldn't come back. 
So she stood in front of me on the on the cliff and she just said to me some simple words, which I think of the kids. My response was, I am thinking of the kids. They'd be better off without me here. And then she said to me something that is, it's kind of a little bit of a famous quote. It's in the opening line of my first book. It's probably my last book that's on Audible, where I said, she said, think about the kids growing up with no dad then. And I wasn't willing for that to happen. So that was week of call number one. A week later, though, I was back on the booze, back on the sniff. Mm. And I end up um, on Christmas Day, 2014, I've got the suicide watch team at my house. Suicide watch team basically babysit you to make sure you don't do anything stupid. And I met this lady called Donna, who essentially, she pretty much told me to get my shit together or I die. Yeah. I actually messaged her to see if she wanted to come to my podcast, but she hasn't replied. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she doesn't want the notoriety. I don't know whether she doesn't want loads of people adding her on socials. But Donna, um, Donna was the first one outside of my wife, probably. And she, my wife, again, she's been on my podcast. She's in my first book. She talks about she didn't know how to deal with it. She didn't know whether they give me tough love or whether they support me or whatever. So she had to pay a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde as well because she didn't know how to handle it. And Donna was the first person that essentially, she didn't tell me to man up because that's fucking horse shit. Yeah. She basically said, without saying it, like, you need to take responsibility for this. You didn't end up here by accident. You didn't end up depressed. You didn't end up suicidal. You didn't end up with all this by fucking accident. And it was because I was hungover. I was hungover. There was probably fucking blood coming out my nose after how much sniff I did the, 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 on the Christmas Eve. Yeah. But do you think... And she just looked at me like, really? Mm. Without saying it, which is powerful. And that was probably the, the second biggest wake-up call that I had outside of my wife saying, listen, the kids, do you really want the kids growing up with no dad? Yeah. And what a turnaround. What a comeback, should we say. Do you, do you think, like looking back, back at it and the place you were in mentally, that the, the amount of booze and the amount of drugs that you was doing at the time was a big part of where you were mentally? No doubt people talk about chemical imbalances. That doesn't happen by yourself. Chemical imbalances don't fucking happen by accident. People yeah. talk about, um, well, I've, I've been trying to express this for years and I only actually figured a way to express it out last year, which was that mental health needs physical support. You can't put fucking diesel in a petrol engine and then wonder why the fucking thing stutters. You can't, full stop. So, mate, 100%. It can be a cycle, though. Like, you do that to make yourself feel better. Yeah. And there's no immediate downside. There's only... There's only instant gratification, so I would say. You get that instant hit, booze, gear, weed, whatever it is. It could be junk food, it could be having a fucking wank. Whichever one it is, you get that instant hit. There's no immediate downside. But then, but there is a downside, and then we just get stuck in that loop until we create a big enough, if, until we find something that we give more of a fuck about than that or a different way to feel better. Yeah, and I think just um, me on sort of like public watch, over the last couple of years and i knew we'd go on some tangents today because that's just the way it I is isn't it, on, a po- on a podcast I love it. it's where my brain works yeah the the young um the younger generation than me their their lives are based around um maybe drama based festivals house gigs and we all know what that involves mm-hmm. and the amount of young people claiming not claiming that's the wrong word saying that they're struggling with their mental health not in a good place and i know it's really easy to just literally cycle it straight back towards the drugs and the alcohol but it must have a massive influence on it 
It causes it. That's why we take it. We take it to, to get a high. Yeah. Guess what? What more goes up must come down. 100%. Yeah. Right. That's um, the truth. What goes up must come down. It can't just keep going up and up and up and up. There must be some kind of... Your, 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 our brains don't work like that. Our bodies don't work like that. It goes up. It's got to come down. Yeah. And, and I think that there's... Like anybody who's listening, just listen to what Paul's saying in regards to looking after that physical body of yours. And it will have a really positive effect on the yes. mental side of you. Um, and by the way, I'm not perfect. Nah. People like AT Tootle now. Even after they're like, oh, what after? Even after all those problems you had, even after all those challenges, you're still not teetotal. I'm like, well, I was for two years, but now it doesn't control me. I control it. Yeah. I decide when I want to and when I don't want to. It's I, I, do I get the poll? Yes, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Usually every Friday. That's why I train jujitsu on a Friday night. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's why I do that. Um. So I still get it, but yeah, it's it's not about being teetotal. It's not about giving up the things you love. It's actually about just having some control over it. Yeah, Instead sure. of allowing it to control you. And almost thinking of a fallback plan that you can go back to if you, like you say, yours is, I could go to the pub on a Friday night, but instead I'm going to put something in that I enjoy just as much. On a Friday night or a Saturday morning or just create a life that's so busy or that's so inspiring that you don't feel the need to escape from it or that you don't have time to have a hangover for. That's what I have. Yeah. And guess what? If I do want to have a drink, I just have to plan it in a few months in advance. Amazing. And then I'll just have the, I'll have the week, I'll have a few days, I'll have a, maybe I'll take Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off work and be cool with it. I'll just have a simple week the week after. But if I'm living a high, a high paced life that I love, there's no need for me to get fucking wasted all the time. And that's a decision, living a high paced life that you love. hundred percent. hundred percent. Right, Paul, I did promise you that, um, well, I didn't promise you, I said to you that we'd be speaking about yeah, I'm excited. Football and sport yeah. as well, because yeah. um, that is primarily where this podcast started for me. Um, I've done local football management. I've played local football. I've had professional footballers and professional cricketers on the podcast and professional rugby players as well. So where, where do you lie in terms of um, sport in general? Where are your interests? In, First of all, cricket's know? not a fucking sport, if you said cricket. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Shit. Any sport where you go and eat scones and sandwiches halfway through, that's not a fucking sport. Hey, come on, mate. It's hard. I'm not it's having a it. It's a hard sport. I'm hard, so hard that you need sandwiches at half time. Yeah, mate. 100%. I'm not having it. I'm a... <laughs> part of the parcel. I'm joking. I'm joking. Look, I need I'm James Smith in my corner here. Well, Smith loves cricket. I know yeah. he does, yeah. But he also likes polo. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah. We actually had this. I was with him the other week. We went to Ramsey's restaurant. And he's talking about polo and some of the some of the things that he told us about polo blew me head off. Do you know that some of them players get paid half a million a year for a game a month? Mad. It's mad. Yeah, it's mad. Oh yeah. So on, on sport, I'm a, I'll actually watch a fair amount of sport. Back in the day, I'd watch any sport, but now I'm like a football guy. Yeah. I'm an MMA. I'm a UFC guy. I'm a even jujitsu tournament guy. I'm a boxing guy. That's usually about it for me I'm not really watching anything outside of football and fighting really I used to watch all of them I'd watch cricket I'd watch basketball I'd watch American football I'd watch rugby league I used to like rugby league um, but yeah I'm, I'm kind of a football and fighting guy now yeah yeah so um, just jumping into the fighting side straight away obviously I've heard yeah. you speak about you uh, doing some boxing back in the day so yeah. when did you first get into boxing oh, so I love boxing from when P Prince Nassim Hamed was boxing 
Oh, nice. Yeah. I'd never actually, I'd never actually boxed until I was thirty-five, maybe. Quite a yeah. late introduction, then. Very late introduction, yeah. And I discovered it. Um, it was actually the thing that helped me get a handle on a coke problem. Right. I, this very desk, oh no, it's a different one. I've got a new one now. I've got a stand-up desk. This stand-up desk. This is. It looks the same, but this. I've got one of them electric ones now, where you press a button. So I had this same stand-up desk for 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 numerous years, and I was that unhappy and I was that lacking life back in 20 even 2015 that I would be doing lines of coke before I came on and did some kind of zoom call like this I'd have to have a line I'd stop halfway through and have a fucking live now no shit wow and then one of my friends one day I try everything that I could to get in shape I even no shit I even had an office I bought I bought the unit next door and put a gym in there just for me because I hated everyone I hated people I hated people. That's cool for I hate myself. Yeah. And um, I even bought a gym. We got a boxing ring put in it, and we, I started hitting pads with my friend. And then he's like, Do you want fancy a spa? I was like, Fucking right, I do. And then I got punched in the face, and I was like, Yeah, this is for me. Mm. This is for me. So, yeah. And then I started getting just, I'd always watched it, but taking part in it back in when I first started in 2015 was a, uh, yeah, this is, this is for me. And then obviously I was lucky enough to meet uh, uh, Scott Quigg. Scott Quigg held the pads for me back in 2015 before my first fight. Wow. Uh, I met Anthony Crawler. Um, and then, obviously, I met uh, Mr. Tyson Fury last year. Ricky yeah, I was... Hatton, I, I sport in an event with Ricky Hatton in 2019. Yeah. I was going to yeah, say two things from what you just said there. Every yeah. boxer that I've spoken to on the podcast has said exactly the same thing. They got yeah. hit in the face once. Yeah. And they just, they loved it, basically. Yeah. It's mad, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just taking you past the comfort zone that gives you a bit of a It was just like it made me feel alive. There's nothing like that. There was nothing like that. A line was what I was doing to make me feel something. Yeah. Because you got to remember back then I was still on, um, I was still on a medication called lithium. And lithium is the gold standard drug for anybody that's been um, diagnosed with bipolar. And when you get diagnosed with bipolar, well, they put it this way, lithium they wanted to stop they basically wanted to find what what's it called it's called like a mood stabilizer mm-hmm. so essentially when you got bipolar you go here and here right it's like that it's like a fucking roller coaster sorry i don't mean when you've got bipolar when you get diagnosed with bipolar yeah and they put you on this lithium and balance it out so basically i went from amazing highs to amazing lows to just feeling kind of shit all of the time like a zombie that's why i was doing the gear and then i discovered boxing but the lithium's so toxic that if you just stop taking it you die is that like right? You get, you get weaned off. Your liver, it, your liver fails. Yeah. I had to get my bloods taken every week for about six months when I came off it. So Mad. that I didn't, my liver didn't fail. Mad that, innit? Yeah. yeah. It is. So, and when I first went on it, I also had to get my bloods taken all the time. So, yeah, boxing just opened up something to me that just blew my head off quite literally. And then I discovered jujitsu after that. And yeah. Amazing. And then, like you said, you've spoken to uh, Mr. Fury. Will, will, I have to ask on the podcast, how was it to meet and Mate, to the guy? It was uh, when I decided to start, basically last year, 2020, um, business is going very well, but I'm a kind of guy that I constantly need to be doing new stuff. I get excited by new. I'm a builder. I'm a creator. I'm an ideas guy. I'm, a, I'm not a, I'm not actually, it's weird. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a massive fan of routine. I'm not a fan of strict military routines are you and it's because i think when i was a, when i was a teenager i used to have to go to get the same bus 
get up at the same time, get the same bus, get the same metro, have my lunch at the same time every day, finish in the factory at the same time every day. I fucking hated it. And I still carry that with me now. I'm not, even though I love a ritual, I, I like it to be a bit baggy. My friend Lucy Lord would call it baggy. Um, I like a bit of a baggy routine. I like to mix up the order of it and the time. It all still happens, but I don't like it to be fucking military strict. I hate yeah. that. So, um, anyway, my wife said to me, you're bored, aren't you? Things were just, they felt a bit, and this is this is going to sound ridiculous, but they were a bit predictable. Yeah. She's you're bored, aren't you? And when I, the problem is when I get bored, I start looking for trouble. So my wife, I've been my wife since I was 17, right? That's fucking, how long is it? 20 fucking five years. It's insane that. And uh, 23 years it is, sorry, 23 years. So she knows me quite well. Mm. And she knows that when I get bored, I tend to burn, I look for ways to break things. She's like, you're bored, aren't you? I was like, yeah, I'm bored. It's too, it's too, too predictable. It's too easy. She said, what do you need? What do you need to inspire you and get your teeth stuck into? I said, I need a book deal, a proper book deal. And I need to start a podcast. Just like, cool. <laughs> and then we made a list. Top of that list was Tyson Fury. Amazing. And uh, it was mad. I tried everything I could to make it happen. It's not, you DM him, you're not getting a reply to that. No. I DM anybody, you're not getting a reply most of the time. All right, how are we going to hit this guy up? So I thought, right, after dinner speaking, after dinner speaking, let's do this after dinner speaking thing. All right, I DM this company. They told me a price. Um, and then they came back to me, says, oh, he wants... He wants this much. I was like, well, I'm not willing to pay that. And I was like, eh. I, I kind of written it off. I kind of written it off. I was like, eh. And then out of the blue, I get this call. Actually, I get a message on Instagram off this lash. I said, Paul, this guy's looking for your number. She said, he's, he manages Tyson Fury. I'm like, oh, really? She's kind of giving you number. I was like, fucking right. And it was actually, I remember, this is mad. Earlier this year, I lost one of my friends, died. Um, 44. And he, uh, he was a barber. And I remember I was teaching my wife how to cut me hair on Zoom, right? Yeah. And I got that call while I was on there. Hey, Paul, it's so-and-so. Um, I'm Tyson Fury's manager. How much did you offer that company? And I told them the number. They were like, oh, they actually only told us it was half of that. So they were going to take off. Oh, my God. So what's the actual number? And I told them the number. And he was like, yeah, I'll get that done for you. Yeah. And then it was actually, I was like, right. He's like, Paul, good news, we're on. I said, mate, I don't want to do it on Zoom. How much, how much? Come what do we need to do to get it done in person? Yeah. A couple of weeks later, we're in uh, we're in near Morecambe, uh, recording a podcast of Tyson Fury. And mate, he was everything I thought he would be and more. Yeah. He came in, he was just a big fucking dude, fucking shouting at the top of his voice. <laughs> just came from the just came from the tip. Um, and we'd actually with people like that, you're often on a time limit, right? So I've interviewed some. Actually, there's only him and Aunt Middleton really that have been on a bit of a a bit of a time limit. So we booked them for an hour, and we're done an hour and twenty minutes. He's like, "Is that all your questions?" And back then it was my first podcast interview. So oh, right yeah. now, if I had him now, I'd do three hours easy. Yeah, three hours easy. I had all my questions written down, and then I was fanboying a little bit. So once I'd run out of questions, I was like, "Yeah, that's it." And he was class. He's like, "Oh, let's get a selfie." Biggest fucking arm I've ever seen. Selfie yeah. felt like from six foot away. And uh, he had this fucking cracked iPhone. His iPhone screen was all battered and that. Mad. Um, and he was a top guy. Top man. Really cool guy. Yeah, yeah really it's, cool. it's incredible. Yeah. And like just rattling off some of the guests you've had on your podcast. But there we go. I'm going to get there one day, mate. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there we go. So anyway, football. We'll move on to football next. You've played and you are a Sunderland. You are a Macum. You're a Sunderland fan. 
to tell us. Sunderland season ticket holder. Oh, unlucky. Yeah. Yeah, Unfortunately, (laughs) I can't change my colour. I was born in Sunderland. Yeah. My dad's a Sunderland fan. What did Um, you say about the seagulls in Sunderland? It makes me laugh, mate. The ones with the tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) Got tattoos, yeah. They look at you like that. You they steal your sausage rolls and that. Yeah. 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 So So I live in a place called South Shields, which is right in between Newcastle and Sunderland. Right in between. So all of my friends, apart from one, support Newcastle. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's mad. So often when I go to the game, I go on my own. My dad won't come. My kids won't come. My wife won't come. Honestly, put it this way. I wasn't at the first home game of the season. There was 33,000 people there. I've got a season ticket that's corporate, right? It's, it's You get a three-course meal. It's really nice, right? Yeah. Often I'll meet my brother-in-law there. I couldn't give me a ticket away. It's mad. It's mad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I've been a season ticket holder. I was a season ticket holder for about, from about the age of 14 until I moved to Marbella. I was 30 when I moved to Marbella. And then I moved back from Marbella in 2014. Yeah. So I've been, I've been, I've had a season ticket since then. So probably 20 odd years total. Yeah. Mad. Yeah. Unfortunate. Shit. Got it. Be- <laughs> But not not really related. But what's your best memory of being a Sunderland supporter? I know you're gonna have to probably dive into the depths of your memory for this one, mate. But no, 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 no. We we'll beat Newcastle six times in a row, mate. But fair play, yeah. Defoe's De- volley. That's got to be up there, isn't it? Defoe's volley's up there. Kieran Richardson's free kick. Yeah. That's they're still looking for the ball. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you one when we beat them in St James. When we just when we had Peter Reid and we just came back up. Um, from the, it was like Division One or something. Then we had Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn up front, Amazing. and I remember raining, raining in this match. Alan Shearer got dropped by Rude Hollett. He was the manager at Newcastle. I remember two things from that game. I remember Kevin Ball, who's one of my all-time favorite players. He wasn't even good. He was just a hard bastard. Yeah. He tackled Duncan Ferguson so hard, he tackled him on the halfway line and hit his own crossbar with the ball. <laughs> fucking lifted him I love a tackle yeah lifting him out of, he would never get away with it now lifted him out of his high techs hit the crossbar and then I remember Kevin Phillips at lobbing their goalkeeper I can't remember who their goalkeeper was at the time he lobbed their goalkeeper I think it might have been Shea Given actually potentially maybe. yeah around that year maybe Shea Given because he'd been on loan at Sunderland Shea Given as well oh wow yeah yeah. He beat when he was young I think it was a Blackburn Rovers or something yeah so Kevin Phillips lobbing their, their goalkeeper when it was pissing down in the rain what else would I put in there? Defoe's volley would definitely be in there, though. It's a great goal. Yeah, great I remember goal. Kevin Phillips scoring a raker against, would beat Chelsea 4-0. <laughs> Funny enough, it was the same season that they beat us 4-0. And uh, Kevin Phillips scored this volley. That was fucking phenomenal. It may, I've got loads of memories. I've got Fabio Barini in the fucking, uh, in the Carling Cup against yeah. Man City. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fabio amazing. Barini, who I'm, that was actually when I first moved back from Spain. I remember that. Yeah, we beat... Uh, we were winning again, 1-0 against Man City, then Yoro, Yoyo Toure turned it on. Yeah, yeah. player. Yeah, I can't see any of those. Mate, I've been to Wembley five times and I've never seen someone win. One day it will happen, mate. What about... Twice. What? Mate, in 2019, I went twice in the space of three months and didn't see them win. Amazing. The one last season. The one that Papa John's fucking trophy at Wembley, but there was no fans there. Oh, mate. Yeah, that mad? Yeah. Yeah, mad. What about you as a player then? I'm guessing you like to tackle, so you was either a defender or a centre midfielder. That's centre midfielder. Centre midfielder. I was like a fucking, I was like a Jordi Perlo. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. Right in front of that back, right in front of that back four. Yeah. As little running as possible, loads of shouting, making the ball do the work because my dad told me the ball never gets tired. 
there you go. It's a good point. There you so go. Yeah. when did you? I tell my you... son that now. I'm like, son, don't worry about this. Just pass the ball. It never gets tired. Yeah, it's not, that's like the role that I have for my uh, my team. Not too much running. Yeah. Loads of chat. Yeah. Yeah. Keep everybody Loads of organized. Chat. Keep... Take the ball off the full-backs. Full-backs are playing inside you. Yeah. Take the ball off the centre-backs because they just fucking lump it long. And then just fucking, yeah. I love a little ping into the centre-forward. Yeah, little nice. ping it right into his feet. And then he plays it off. Yeah, I love that pass. Or the Test pass the over touch. the full-backs' head. Yeah. Test his touch, touch yeah. yeah. Or the ball over the full-backs' head into the corners. I love that one as well. The Hollywood yeah. ball. Holly, I love a Hollywood pass, yeah. yeah. I've actually put... I've actually, in 2018 and 2019, I played at the Stadium of Light. You can pay to play. Right, it's called pay to play. So you get, you get this lad. We've got like sixteen guys together, and you play against another sixteen random guys. And uh, the first time I played, I put about four Hollywood passes in, and nice. I got this fucking. I've never seen my kids so fucking chuffed <laughs> running on the pitch because I got this. I got this little man of the match trophy. Yeah, I was buzzing. Did you score? Then I fought. I don't get far nah. enough out of the pitch. No, yeah. I don't get far enough. Out of the, I'm in the center circle. That's that's about me. I'm in the center circle. Yeah, no, I didn't score. No, oh, not even fair. close. That would have been... I'm not even going forward for corners because I have to get back. Me, yeah. I didn't play. I didn't play football. I was talking to my son about this last night, actually, because he's actually 10 and he's getting into it a little bit. He's not remotely interested in watching it, but he's been playing a bit at school, I think. He doesn't like it, though, because he's so used to fighting him because he, 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 he trained jiu-jitsu from, like, six until nine, maybe. Yeah. So he's used to physical contact. And he's like, Dad, why are these... Every I remember playing, taking him to this football camp once. And every time he went near someone, they were like falling around and complaining. And he was like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> that's what footballers do. He yeah, hates no, that yeah. So he'll go like that against the kid and the kid will be rolling around or complaining to the teacher or the ref or the coach. And he's my son's like that. What the fuck? You yeah. Know, he doesn't know any different. So uh, yeah, he's getting into it. And I was saying to him last night, actually, I didn't, from the age of 24 till I was about 37, I didn't play at all. Wow. Yeah. I played a little bit in Marbella, but I stopped playing. I got boozed up. I was on the... There's only so long you can go. I remember when I was 17, 18, I could go out on the piss, take a couple of ease, uh, go clubbing until four o'clock in the morning, hunt a bird, and then turn up for football and get man the match. There's only... You get to a certain age and you can't do that anymore, right? Yeah. To play on a Sunday, you're staying in on fucking Friday, never mind a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was, um, that was for, for a long time. And then when I was 37... I start, check this out. This will blow your head off. When I was 37, I decided to start playing again, right? I missed the crack. And I signed for the team that I played for when I was 15. They still had all the same players. Guess what? They're still going now. No way. What's that- the team name? Give them a shout out. They were called Marsden. Marsden. Yeah. They, they fell out me a little bit because I went, I was, I was, when I was 15, I was actually a strike. I was big. I was tall and hairy. And then I just didn't grow anymore, right? <laughs> so when I was 15, I was pretty good. And I signed for a team that were like the, the, the team. You know, you have a local team where all the most of the players get picked up by clubs and that from this yeah, yeah, one yeah. team. So basically, they were the best local team and I signed for them. And the manager never spoke to us for years. And then when I was 37, I had to go knocking on his door. 20, 22 years later, I was like, wow. are you speaking to us now? It was mad. Yeah, it was mad. But yeah, and I played, for, I played about... 12 games, and then I got a bucket handle tear on me fucking uh, meniscus. So I and, could, and then I was out for about three months, and I played a little bit again, and then I, I really got into jujitsu. And I was like, the thing that I love about the things that I loved about football was the physical contact. I love the fucking tackle. Love yeah. to get up for a head. I love that, and I love the banter. Yeah. 
And the problem that I had was when I played, I'd be sore for fucking four or five days after, so I couldn't train properly. My knee would be sore as fuck. And I'd have to wait once a week for the banter. Mm. Guess what? In jiu-jitsu, I get it every time I go. Yeah. The physical contact's on another level. So yeah. let's talk talk about jiu-jitsu, mate. Just shuffling yeah. it forward into the next yeah. little... Uh, that's all I'm doing sport. in jiu-jitsu. Fucking shuffling. That's my game. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've never done it. Break yeah. it down for break it down in layman's terms for somebody who's so uh, jujitsu is like a couple of ways to describe it. You could call it submission wrestling. Yeah, but I hate putting the word wrestling in because people think of fucking Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John the Cena rock. and that. John Cena. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but jujitsu is this thing that in the UFC that's what they do when they're on the ground, right? And they're not punching. That's jujitsu then. Um. So yeah, it's the it's a violent art. I, uh, my son actually did it before me. He started when he was six. He did it for three years. Now he hates it with a passion. I pushed him a bit too hard. Okay. So don't force him to go now. I pushed him a bit too hard. I took him to a different gym so he could get better. And all the kids were fucking phenomenal. Right. So he got, he was actually, he went from being one of the best. I took him to another gym and he was one of the worst. Yeah. And he, he's, he's different to me. He's not, he's wired, he's wired a bit more different to me. So he's a bit quiet, he's shy, he's not, he hasn't got a lot of confidence. My daughter trains there now, but she's a fucking, she's totally different. You beat her and she's like, fucking come on then. If someone submits her, she's like, let's go again. Whereas my son's like, he, he don't like it. A little bit so, more than his shell type thing. A little bit more than his shell. My daughter's a little, uh, she's like me, a little seven-year-old arsehole, eight-year-old arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> she'll, she'll, she'll probably be listening. She'll probably be outside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, she, they started and I was like, wow, this is cool. And actually my friend who was coaching them at the time, ex-Cage Warriors world champion, he he actually helped me a bit with my boxing. Yeah. And he always he was always like, listen, you're way too old to be doing this fucking punch in the head shit at your age. He said he shouldn't. He'd actually been signed by the UFC six days before his debut. He's got told that he couldn't fight because he had a brain, uh, a lesion on his brain. Oh my God. And he only fought one. He didn't fight for about three years. He only fought once more after that. He was Cage Warriors world champion. The person to hold that belt before him was Conor McGregor. Signed by the UFC, couldn't fight. Only had one more fight after. Anyway, he was like, he'd been trying to get me to do jujitsu for ages. And then I started, I was like, and my kids were doing it. I was like, oh, it's pretty fucking cool, this. My kid, Max was competing in tournaments and that. I was like, actually, this is a cool vibe. And then I started it and, yeah, I never really stopped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody who you hear talk about the sport, um, or it's the class or whatever. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's just you get like, all the things you need as a man. You get an outlet for your fucking, an outlet for your natural aggression. You get humbled as fuck. It's the hardest cardio you'll ever do. Yeah. There's no way because there's no boxing. You can you learn how to cheat a little bit. You can kind of back off. You can run. You can run a little bit in boxing. You can run away. You can play on the back foot in jujitsu. No rest. Five minute right. rounds, not three minute rounds. In fact, in the boxing that I was doing, the rounds are only two minutes. Yeah. If ever I spar boxing now with Mac, maybe Max an MMA fighter, we have to do five minute rounds because I'm like two minutes in long enough. But five minutes of jujitsu is so hard. It's got the camaraderie's class. You get people from all different backgrounds. Um, you get fit as fuck. Obviously, it's constant learning. It's I describe it as like it's violent meditation. I'm wow, feeling yeah. the ears because. My ears get, your ears get sore when you roll a little bit of jujitsu. <laughs> I have not really sore ears. You'll end up with cauliflower ears, mate. Uh, I, mate, I kind of want one. You look hard as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah nice. it's, um, you, you kind of, when you're doing it, there's nowhere else to be. It's like 
you go in there and then you come out different every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Even it's the only place where I can go for an hour, train with men, women, people that are heavier than me, people that are lighter than me, all sorts of different people get fucking butchered, right? Just literally yesterday I rolled with our coach. He's a black belt. He's 24 world champion. He is right. And he basically folded my gay up with me still inside of it. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck just happened? I yeah, showed yeah. my kids the video. He put a video on his Instagram and the kids thought it was hilarious. <laughs> like, dad, were you, were you even joining in that? I was like, I just fucking couldn't even see him. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's just, um, again, I bang on about it all the time and people probably get sick of hearing it, but it's it's been a life-changing experience for me. I've met so many different people, so many different kinds of people. And here's the thing with it. Everywhere I go in the world on holiday, I'll train jujitsu and you just get welcome. Last week I trained in Ibiza and the whole class was in Spanish and it was fucking awesome. Wow. I sparred with a Spanish copper, um, Sven, if you know Sven, Sven Goodmanson. Yeah. It's not his real name. Um, and yeah, I, we... rolled with, uh, I rolled with a lady that was a doorman. I worked the door at the Blue Marlin in Ibiza. And like, the other week, I trained in London at the Hodger Gracie Academy with James Smith and Darren and some guy that was a Hollywood movie star who's got 8 million followers on Instagram. Who was that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Darren was like, do you know who that was? I was like, no. He said, look, he showed us who it was and I forgot. Wow. Yeah. Mad. But he's 8 million followers on Instagram. Yeah. But that's the thing with, with jujitsu. That's just what I found. You get, there's not very often... And I think one of them, James and Darren have said this as well before. They're like, there's not very often where you couldn't go play. Put it this way. I couldn't go and play football with Ronaldo. No. But I can go and roll with somebody that's the best in the world at Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, it's, it's a cool. Company, but it's growing. People are getting paid now. I'm saying to my daughter now, she's like, Dad, because she, Jiu-Jitsu is a hobby for most people. But now there's a guy called Gordon Ryan, best Jiu-Jitsu guy in the world. He's making half a mil a month. By the way, this is just selling instructional DVDs on the internet. Wow. This is not doing seminars or privates. Or not he, e that's, not, that's not even competing. Link to email competing. marketing, is he? he? It's not even his site. He just has another site, bjjfanatics.com. He puts together instructionals that people download, and he's doing half a mil a month. Wow. 24 years old, by the way, he is as well. He's not even reached his peak. Unbelievable. He's not even competing in MMA. He do, but check this out. He doesn't even train in the gi. It's all no gi. Gi's more popular. So imagine that. Yeah. There you go. Business idea. Check this out. The gym. This is this is what it's like, right? I mean, these are obviously the best guys in the world. But this kid's 24. Yeah. So this day, I'm I'm at this gym in London, and I try and get. I try and. I'm only there for a few days. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to join. Can you just? Can you just do a drop in? No, I don't do drop ins. My gym does drop-ins for like six quid, right? Six quid. I'm in London. The memberships, two nine five a month. Wow. Yeah. They've got over a thousand members. I bet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and I love that because I'm like, it's popular. It's becoming more and more popular. Yeah. Because it's a way, all the police are starting to do it now because it's a way of protecting yourself without striking somebody and really endangering them. Like, I love my kids knowing how to do it. Because I know they can protect themselves. My son's now boxing. He loves boxing now. And I'm like, mate, he's like, dad, I just punched him in the face. I'm like, don't do that, mate. You'll hurt your hand. Yeah. 
Yeah, you get, can... listen, I've got no problem with talking about fighting with my kids. I'm like, it, right now, it's important to be able to protect yourself. Yeah, jiu jitsu for me is the ultimate way to protect yourself because you're just restraining someone. You just that's all it is. It's the art of restraint and control, controlling somebody else's body. Yeah, there we go. It's not like throwing a punch where you could end up in jail with one punch. Yeah, you end up killing somebody with one punch. You, you hear the stories, somebody. don't you? Yeah, you do all the time. There's a kid. There's a kid who owns the gym across here where my kids used to train jujitsu and I used to train jujitsu. That he went. He ended up in jail because he punched someone and they died. Mad. Yeah, one punch. Jujitsu was a, a way of pretend. They were in a fight. It wasn't just him. That's why he got. He only did it. I think he did three years or something. But they were in a fight and he punched him. A kid. He's. It, it's tragic that. Yeah. Jujitsu for me is fucking magnificent, and it's only going to get bigger. It's one of those things where I wish I'd started sooner, but I didn't. Such is life. Such is life. I mean, I started at the perfect time because that's the time that I started. Exactly. No other time yeah. to start. Right, mate. I will move us away from sports. I feel like we could talk about it for ages. And I've got the master coach, two-time master coach of the year on, and we've Funny barely. Enough, I just seen that. I just seen that trophy there. Is that yeah. is that the one? Is it? So that's, uh, that's the one. The other one's in the. Uh, the other one's at home. And. Yeah. Uh, I've got a two-time master coach of the year on. We barely spoke about coaching. So I've got some key talking points that I've wrote down here. I'm going to yes. start with the with the basics and then we'll move through and I'll let you okay. just go. All right, I'm mate? excited. So the first one, um, journaling. Now in your coaching, whether it be Unstoppable 28, Mansformation, Alliance. Yeah. Even my book. Yeah. My book, the, one of the main points is journaling. And Why? Yeah. Tell us why you believe journaling to be the one of the most important things in regards to getting your life, not together, but keeping it on a forward moving yeah. path. So here's, here's the, the thing with journaling. It gets a bit of a bad rap. And in fact, I had my meditation coach on my podcast. I interviewed him on Tuesday. And I was saying a few years ago, I would have laughed in the face of meditation. It's for fucking hippies, man. Journaling, that's for fucking teenage girls, mate. Dear diary, fuck off. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But then I learned about something called prompted journaling. Prompted journaling. Actually, I this is the first thing that I learned. That the quality of your life is controlled by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. So we're asking ourselves questions. Your brain's a, a problem-solving machine, a question-answering machine. And it'll find or it'll try and find the answers to the questions that you give it. Yeah. But most of the time, we're what I call what I would call sleeping awake, right? We are in autopilot. Yep. We're, we're, we're having thoughts, we're creating these thoughts and we're answering questions that we don't even know what we're asking. And so that's the first point. The second point is that the answers that we give ourselves to those questions will often dictate how we feel, right? And then I realized that, and, and this is in my first book, like one of my biggest insights, my biggest breakthroughs that I had from my whole meltdown, the suicidal episodes, the fucking panic attacks, was that I'm always in control of how, how I feel and I can change it in an instant, right? And there's multiple ways to change the way you feel in an instant. One of them is by changing your physiology. Yep. Breathing, moving, exercise, cut everyone, take a deep breath. Yep. Just take a deep breath. That's all obvious for a lot of people. But the second thing is to change what you're focused on. And I remember reading in a book. In fact, it was an audio book. It was in 2016. I was on my way back from... Uh, Laguna Beach in California and my friend out there AJ Roberts um, he's like an ex-world record deadlifter or ex-world record uh, powerlifter 
Nice. In fact, he's got an amazing photo of him breaking the world record for the squat with his no- blood pouring out of his nose. It's one of the greatest photos I've ever seen. Yeah. English guy lives in the state. He actually owns Cartra. Cartra has a massive membership software. That's his business. Mad. Anyway, he just said, hey, check out this book. It's called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by a guy called T. Harbecker. One of the first sentences that he says is about money. This is where attention goes, energy flows, and results show. And it's about money, where your attention goes, your energy will, where your attention flows, your energy will go. And I was like, all right, that makes a lot of sense. How do I start to handle that, where that attention goes? And then somebody different, or I just figured out that focus is controlled by questions. So you can ask somebody, um, what's great about your life? And then ask them what's shit about their life. And those two questions will, the answers to those two questions will pretty much dictate how to feel. Tell me the best part of your day. Okay, tell me the worst part of your day. Yeah. The answers to the questions are completely dictate how I feel. Like I'll do the in my live show in Newcastle. I mean, I'm giving my content away here, but I'll probably ask something along the lines of close your eyes and just think about something that pisses you off. Guess how you feel? Pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll ask you, or oh, I think of a lemon. What happens when you think about squeezing a lemon in your mouth? Your mouth Taste starts a lemon. Yeah, 100%. Just, that's just <laughs> That's just because of what you're focused on. And all I've done is ask you a question. That's how powerful questions are. Now, there's remembering that, and there's actually the concept of prompt the journaling, which is answering questions. That's all it is. So questions are a steer or the steering wheel of the mind. The questions that I ask myself, right, will dictate or have a massive impact on what I'm focused on. And what I'm focused on will grow. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we, well, you and me and everybody else in your program, I believe partners with journaling is your meditation or meditation for men was your course and then meditation in general. Now, yes. I think everybody who's taken part in meditation or taken part or does meditation would say that actually the benefits they get from it are probably quite individual. Now, I, for me, the one thing that's done for me and I've told every, like everybody who I can speak to about it, I've told this is where I used to be really um, reactive with maybe something that I've seen, something I've heard. I now I'm not. And it's, that's the biggest benefit of meditation for me. Now, why do yeah. you meditate and what are the biggest benefits for you? Meditation is the only old thing, you know, I, I had a 90 minute conversation on Tuesday with my meditation guy around this. Yeah. Almost the same thing. Why do we meditate? What does it do? How do you know it's working? How do you know you've had a good meditation? And often you don't know it's working. It's definitely not a, like you have a workout at the gym and you feel great after. It's not that. It's not that at all sometimes. Some, every meditation is different. So I meditate for a few reasons. One, it's tremendous for my energy. Yeah. Two, well, essentially it helps me become more present. And the happiest, most joyous moments in your life have been when you've been 100% present. Not thinking about what happened there or not thinking about what's going to happen here. When you're completely present, you're happy. So I'm going to practice that art. In yeah. fact, that's it, it, I, I, when people ask me about the benefits of meditation, I'm just fucking Google it. You'll find whatever you want. You'll find whatever you need to see. So I meditate um, for energy. I meditate to, to practice the art of being present. Remember, this is a guy that anxious thoughts are always future-based. Yeah. Right? So I had to get a handle on that. And thirdly, going along with that anxiety thing, think about this. If I'm what I'm focused on grows, Meditation trains focus. It trains it. It taught me the art of what I'm going to call diversion. 
And diversion is the ability to essentially stop thinking one thought and think another. Because I can't have two thoughts at the same time. I can have simultaneous thoughts, right? But I can't have two thoughts at the same time. Like my compass needle can only point in one direction at a time. Yeah. It can either point north or south. They can't point both. It's only got one end, right? It's only got one arrow ahead, right? So meditation done in the way that I teach it or in the way that most things like transcendental meditation, which I like, or ascension meditation, which is my favorite style of meditation that the Ashaya monks use. Yep. And though they train you the art of noticing that you're drifting off with a thought, an anxious one, a stressful one, a worried one, a, even a positive one. Yep. And just teaches the art of coming back to now, which could be by using the breath, which could be by using mantras, which could be even listening to somebody else talk. I don't like that guided meditation. It's better than nothing, but I'm like, it's not, for me, it's not meditation. No. And um, I don't think it's real meditation. I think it's okay. I think it's better than nothing, but I think it's not, you're not learning anything there. No. I, will, I, you, I can't say, oh, wow, I'm stressed. I, I better put my headphones in. It's not going to fucking happen now. It's not going to no. work. I've got to train myself, right? I'm noticing myself that I'm, oh, fucking hell. There's me believe my own bullshit again. Come back. There's me believe, ah, come back. Notice and notice and notice. And the more I practice that, the better I get at it. And Arjuna, my coach, he said something amazing, which is um, all we can do is remember that I am meditating. That's all I've got to do. I've got to remember that I'm focused here. He said, the more you do it, the, what did he say? The less you have to remember and then oh, something to do. See, so you don't have to remember to remember and you don't have to forget to forget. It was really, it was re you'll see when I drop this podcast, but I was like, wow, the more I do it, the less I have to remember to remember that I'm meditating. I yeah. just get in this flow of being present. I'm training the art of being present. Just like I get fit. The more I show up, the more reps I put in, the better I get at it. Meditation is training the art of being present and the ability to be able to divert my attention from, I can't have a positive thought and a negative thought at the same time. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's why I do it. When, when you speak to people about it, like who yeah. maybe have never done it before, they'll go, yeah. oh, okay, so I need to think about being calm or I need to think about being happy. And actually, yeah. already they're out of any form of meditation. Well, you know, man, that's not even, that's not even, I think the main thing or the main challenge that I see people have is they're asking me, my, my mind's too busy. How do I stop my mind from wandering? Like, well, you have something to return it to. Yeah. My friend Lucy yeah. Lord said to me, or she said it, my, my other friend, and Darren, she said, um, a meditate, a, a, a busy mind is a meditating mind. Like you can't empty your mind of thoughts. It's impossible. In fact, if you think you can, it's already too late because you've had the thought that you can yeah, empty you your thought. <laughs> yeah. It's too late. You're being thought. We are being thought. We're not those thoughts. We're not having those thoughts. We're being thought. And then I'm like, right, I'm going to, we just get to choose and practice which ones we follow down the fucking rabbit hole, if you like. Yeah. And that's training. That's what journaling does as well. Trains you. 100%. i got an interesting yeah. point for you today as well, just in my key, key talking points. And I want to put this yeah. across in the right way for you. One thing I learned from you from the early days when I started following you is that your methods of dealing with men and now women, because that's now in your program, is it's a no bullshit approach, right? You won't let people get away with chatting shit. You won't let people get away with believing their own bullshit or talking yes. about their negative thoughts yes. and things like that do you think 
because when I speak to you, I'm like, mate, everybody should have a bit of your training in their life. Do you think though that the reason that maybe you've not maybe hit the massive market across the UK, although you do have worldwide clients, is because you do call people out for it, and no. it maybe affects their ego? No, no. I think it may be impacted, but I think the main reason is just time. I just need more time. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, th- I think you get started on Instagram till 2019. Yeah, yeah. I'm not willing to give up my life to like I say no to a lot of shit yeah. so I think time's going to make it happen but also the subject is pretty taboo but you're right not everyone wants to hear it yeah and not everyone well, wants to hear that you don't catch depression not everyone wants to hear that anxiety isn't contagious so yes I suppose you're right but it's coming trust me it's just yeah, time it, and, it, and that then leads me into the next um, talking point for us as well which is anxiety and depression you've already said one of the two biggest things that resonated with me when I was probably going through I put I say in abbreviations my worst mental period in my life yeah you yep. don't catch anxiety or sorry you don't catch depression and like what was the other thing about anxiety is it's not contagious yeah that's yeah. it how do you break that down for somebody then so if somebody's sat there now maybe they are going through a bit of a, a troubling mm-hmm. time with their own mm-hmm. mind how mm-hmm. would you say Again, in beginner's terms. Depression and anxiety are both what I'm going to call states. Yeah. Right? They're both states. I'm in a depressive state. I'm in an anxious state. Right? And there are people, by the way, and this is in my last book, Paul Mortal Save Your Life, is um sort of pitch. Um, you crack on. We basically did a bit. I actually have my research team at Collins did the research on this. That some people are more predisposed to depressive tendencies. But actually, that just means that they have to work a little bit harder on their lifestyle. They have to work a little bit harder on the habits and the behaviors and their habitual thoughts as well, by the way. That's all beliefs are. That's all thoughts are habitual ones. A habit is just something that you've done so many times that becomes autopilot for you. So depression and anxiety are both states. And if we look at the di- dictionary definition of state, it's the condition that somebody or some, something finds themselves in at a particular moment in time. So you haven't always been depressed. You haven't always been anxious. Most of the time, we're not always depressed. It can feel like it. It can feel like we're always anxious, but we're not. We're not. So, and the great thing about state is what I do know is that we can change it. In fact, most of the time, that's what we're looking to do. How do, you, how do most people want to feel? This is the default. Just want to feel better. Yeah. Better. So we'll do what we can to feel better. And often, that will be something that gives us instant gratification with no immediate downside, like we spoke about before. Immediate gratification or instant gratification, no immediate downside. So we get on that spiral of upside, downside, upside, downside. And that could be whatever it is. You think about that, like most of the things that we do are just so that we feel better. That's it. We just want to feel better. So, I mean, they're both slightly different things. Like depression is a low energy state. Anxiety is a high energy state. And those states are made up of three things. Physiology, where you're at physiologically, breathing, posture, overall fitness, even as down even so down as facial expressions, where your shoulders are, right? Breathing's huge on this. Secondly, is you, what you're focused on, your attention. If I, keep tell, if I keep showing you things, right, that are depressing, that are negative, that are on your cup of tea, you're going to get pissed off, you're going to get angry, you're going to get depressed, you're going to get upset. If you keep thinking about that, that's, you're going to get that. What you focus on grows. You get what you're focused on. 
do that consistently enough, you expose your mind to that environment, you'll get more of it. You expose your body to that environment, you get more of it. Same with anxiety. If I keep showing you things that make you anxious or create anxiety for you, it's not the thing that's making you anxious. It's your thoughts about it that are making you anxious. You're going to keep creating that. So that's the focus part. The third part of it is language. And every time I talk about this, I get fucking crucified on the internet. Mm. My depression, it's not yours, mate. My anxiety, not yours. You don't own it. If you keep saying that, it'll own you because it'll become part of your identity. I am depressed. I have depression. No, you don't. You don't have anxiety. You have anxious tendencies. You have the ability to be anxious. You have the ability to create anxiety, but you're not anxious all the time. You're not anxious when you're asleep. You're not anxious here. You're not anxious there. So that language thing is huge. I am bipolar, someone said to me. You're not. You're given a diagnosis of bipolar. I used to say that. I'm bi- Oh, it's my bipolar. Awesome. That's why I'm getting on the sniffer. It's my bipolar. It's not. It's not. It's not my anything. It's not I am anything. If I choose to make that, if I take that label of I am bipolar, it becomes part of my identity. I can't change that. It's very difficult to change your identity. It's People are trying to change their behaviors or change the way that they feel, but they've still got the identity of I have depression. Can you see how that's hard? Yeah. It's hard. It's like walking around the t-shirt that says, um, I have the, it's a bit extreme. I have depression and then trying to feel great. It's, it's going to be hard. It's yeah. going to be hard. So yeah. And then, and then just to add on to that, um, maybe another point I just want to lead you into is just maybe changing your palate, which is another thing that we've spoken yeah, about before. Huge, man. And like, huge. again, it's one of your favorite sayings. And I almost feel the same. I had my, I don't mind saying it. I had my grandma in the car yesterday. I took her, did a, did a, took her into town. She had to pick up something, you know, doing a, doing the grandson favor. And she mentioned about the whole, the news and about Afghanistan and blah, 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 and yeah. just how negative it was and all of that. And yeah. I was like, grandma, where have you heard this? She's like, oh, it's all over the TV. And I instantly, weirdly, just thought of your training. And I was like, it's just so true. I had no, yeah. like, obviously I've seen some of it on yeah. social media and whatnot, but yeah. no idea the intensity yeah. that the, the, the media are putting out there. So I'll let yeah. you continue just in regards to palate and how you can protect so your palate is is essentially it, it kind of is down to what you put in here in your yeah. mouth kind of is what you put up your nose it's what you watch it's yeah. what you read it's what you listen to it's who you listen to and that all has an impact on how you feel that all has an impact on your behavior it's like if you go in a sauna you don't have to tell your body to sweat or not sweat it just sweats that starts to happen in your mind your mind will adapt to the environment that you consistently put it in over time you put me in a room full of 10 complainers guess what Gonna start it's only a matter of time it doesn't matter how positive i am it doesn't matter how good one my willpower is willpower has an expiry date it always runs out it's just a matter of when i will become the 11th complaining person <laughs> again i'd still be trying my best but i'll be doing my best with the tools that i've got my mind will adapt to that environment we adapt that's what we are yeah brilliant your yeah no it's fantastic Paul, I've only got you probably for another 10 more minutes. So I'm going to just chuck this one in there. If you could give your 18-year-old self some advice now, what would you tell him? Eighteen. Well, 18, I was working in a factory night shift, making 30 grand a year. 18 years old, 30 grand a year. That's a lot of cheese. But I was a fat miserable fucker when I was 19 obviously I left so um 
You can e- you can even say twenty five if you'd no, like. I'm gonna to stay. Then. I'm gonna stay at Ian. I'm gonna stay at Ian. Go on then. It would probably be some along the lines of um, there's no negative without a positive. There's no upside without a downside. There's no payoff without a drawback. There's no love without hate. There's no support without challenge. Because at that time in my life, I was I was quite angry because I wanted to leave this job and I had my notice in and my mum and dad didn't support me at all. Nobody supported me. I'm like, I want to leave this job. I fucking hate it. My dad was like, well, I got you that. You can't do anything else. You've got two GCSEs. I got a lot of shit for that. I got a lot. Of, the only person that supported me was my wife, who was only, check this out, she was only fucking 15 at the time, 16 mm. maybe. She supported me. And I got, and I think a lot of people do this. Oh, well, so-and-so, they, 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 they're saying I shouldn't do it. They're being negative. They, we expect everybody to support us and believe in us. They're not fucking going to. They're doing, they've got their own shit going on. My, my, my dad worked in the same factory for 30 years. My mum worked in Asda for 15 years. They're not going to have an entrepreneurial mindset. They're not going to have that go on, go after your dream, son. Because that's just not who they are. They're not entrepreneurial. Nobody in my family is. I'm the only self-employed person in my entire family. The only person that's ever had a business. So it's it would be something along the lines of not everyone's going to support you, and that's okay. You don't need everyone to support you. Something along the lines of that, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, there's no negative without a positive. There's no positive without a negative. There's no... X without Y. There's no, there's no one. There's two sides to every coin. Perfect. And um, practice think that. Yeah. And then I've got two more for you, if that's okay. Yeah, man. Question, the, the one of two is um, if you was, to, if you was to have one of my listeners sat down there with you now, instead of me, and they said to you, Paul, I'm suffering with some anxiety. I'm not mm. feeling good. I'm in a low mood. What would be the three top tips you would give them? I'd ask them three questions. I wouldn't. T- I wouldn't give them any tips. Go then. Three questions. Because people tend to not do anything with tips. They'll take their own tips a lot of the time. So I would go with, uh, "What are you normally doing that's causing this?" That question there gets people to take responsibility. This is why I'm master coach of the year. Brilliant. That yeah. question gets them to take responsibility. If I give them a tip, it's like an invitation. They can do whatever the fuck they want with it. If I ask them a question. What are you normally doing that's preventing you from getting this shit together? Then they're going to be, oh, okay. Well, this didn't happen by accident. Two, um, who else is it impacting? That's going to create some leverage for them. Number three, uh, how do you want to feel? People get upset. When you're low like that, you get obsessed with how you don't want to feel, what you don't want your life to look like. You can't create strategies around that. So I then go, how do you want to feel? And then my last bit would be, okay, well, what are you willing to do to feel like that? And when? Done. Dusted. Perfect. Yeah. And then my final question for you, Mr. Mort, is what is next for Paul Mort? And where can what people find next? you? I'll tell you, well, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, not LinkedIn. It's full of turds. <laughs> it's full of bullshit. as Philly bullshit. As. Um, YouTube, we've just kicked off on. Obviously, I've got my own podcast on Um. Spotify. Oh. Well, actually, we're closing it out in the next couple of weeks. We've got a couple more on. Yeah. I've just done a deal with Spotify, so hopefully we'll get a little boost out on there. Unbelievable. Uh, just signed a deal to work with the uh, Spotify team on their mental health and their mindset and their happiness. Um, and then um, Audible, Paul Moore will save your life. You'll find me in there. Um, and what's next for Paul Moore is all my focus now is just um, just impacting more people, really, through my programs, through how we work it, taking care of my own health, because I've had this COVID thing and this torn pec, getting back into that shit, and then 
all my focus is going into my live show in um, 29th of October, Tyne Theatre, Newcastle, where uh, I've got a few surprises planned. Amazing. We had a meeting with my agent yesterday, and I, I threw, I said, he was like, oh, we're going to have fire, we're going to have cannons, we're going to have all this. I said, can you lower me in from a ceiling? Not like a thing. Next thing I know, he's asking, he said, can you check where the Tyne Theatre? I've got a trap door. And I'm like, fucking hell! It's going to kick yeah, off, so all, my, all my all my energy and a lot of my focus is going into filling that because, mate, it's it's a, it's mad. There's a, there's a lad that used to work for me. I used to get some help with my coaching when I had, like, honestly, had, like, 10 clients and I had somebody else help me with the coaching. Now we're on, like, a thousands of clients. And um, he's coming up. He's like, mate, he said, I remember the time when he, this guy was a client of mine and then he became a coach for me. We had, like, six guys coming to an event, six or seven guys coming to events. We're going to have a thousand people at this one in Newcastle. Amazing. And that was that's in the space of like four years. So all my energy is going in. I'm really excited to have people come to that because I'm from an industry and from a background where you'd pay like three, four, anything up to a thousand pounds to go to an event. To be able to be in a position where I can make the tickets 30 quid is fucking amazing for me. So yeah, that. And then um I wouldn't mind getting another book deal over the line this year, but we'll see. Yeah, amazing. I'd love another book deal, but I don't want to write the book. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying that the other day. Actually. Writing a book is so fucking hard, man. I swear, fair play to anybody that's wrote a book. Yeah. I will never criticise a book again. There you go. There you go. Never. Never. I'll never be like that book was shit. Yeah. There you go. So how have you found your experience on the Grassroots Guy podcast, mate? Me, I've had fun. Yeah. yeah I've been, we've talked about a very broad range of topics. Oh, so much. I haven't been yeah. asked the same boring questions. Um. I forgot to ask you a question. Who's your team? I'm a Chelsea fan, mate. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, family originated from London. So yeah. um, I didn't have a choice, mate. The first thing I ever wore when I grew up was a Chelsea baby grow. And that was Oh, that. nice. Yeah, yeah. I used to so... have Chelsea. I used to love watching Chelsea TV. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I used to I have that. I watched all... I, you know what I used to love watching? Like the under 18 games on that 23 games. Yeah, yeah. And when oh. I used to got it, it's not even a thing anymore, I don't think. Uh, uh, Chelsea TV is, but it's just not not as good as when it. I used to have started. it all the time. That had, it was the team, the youth team, where they had like Ola Ina, Tamori, uh, Jay Clark, Salter, that little left back Jay De Silva. Did you ever yeah. see him? He's plays a, for Bristol City. He's played for Bristol City now. Yeah, he's on fucking. He'll come back to the Premier League. No doubt about it. Yeah, they had uh, Loftus Cheek, uh, Lewis Baker. What the fuck happened to him, by the way? I know, mate. He like, like he's been. Legit, to every, he's twenty six. He's 26. Yeah. He's still, he was, at, he was back at pre-season for Chelsea yeah. this year, which is mental. I saw like, them play them centre-back. Yeah. Because I still look at that. You had Solanke, Tommy Abraham, Jeremy Borger, yeah. Charlie Musonda. Yeah. Yeah. Ballers. Mad. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. I, look, this is I bet you didn't know that about me that I used to that I know all them players there. Eh? Secret Chelsea fan, Paul. There you go. And did you see me podcast with Bradley Simmons? He used to play for Chelsea. No, but that would be... Bradley Simmons used to, to play for Chelsea. And Raheem Sterling was there. Oh, no. That? Sorry. He wasn't at Chelsea. Bradley Simmons played for Chelsea. And he was in the same setup as... Uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was something like fucking Josh McEachern or something. Someone like that. Yeah, yeah. But and, he was a good player he went well. Q, And then he went to QPR. And he was in the same youth team as uh, Raheem. Mad. Yeah. Isn't that mad? Yeah. Very mad. Anyway, if we you are, want to do some fanboy and get Bradley on your fucking yeah, podcast. Yeah, I will. We are going to wrap this up, though. Otherwise, we could talk about football all day. We could, mate. We could. This has been episode 27 of the Grassroots Guy podcast. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at the Grassroots Guy. 
You'll find me here with a new episode every week. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I've had a blast. Perfect, mate. Take care. See you all next Friday.